0: Well, welcome to another episode of On the Couch with myself, Henry Jennings, from Marcus Today, and today it's a very special podcast as I'm joined by Dr. Francis Verdine from Vulcan Energy, and I'm sure most of our listeners will be pretty familiar with Vulcan Energy and really privileged to have Francis with me today. It has been a stunning success story in 2020 for this company. And now it's roaring ahead in 2021 as well. So it's been an extraordinary ride, I think, for the, the team. Uh, Dr. Vadin is the founder of Vulcan Energy and he currently is the CEO and previously an executive director with ASX listed XOR resources. And he's got a PhD in exploration geology and an MBA in renewable energy so very well credentialed to take this company forward and uh, knows some of my old stomping grounds in Kent in the UK so that's always good to know. So welcome uh, Francis, really happy to have you on board today, it's fantastic to uh, to get your time to talk to us. It's um, it's going to be great, I'm sure.
1: Thanks. Thanks very much, mean thanks, uh, thanks for your time and thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, it's a pleasure. Now, just before we kick off, I must put in the uh, the general advice disclaimer. So all the information contained in this podcast is a general advice nature only. So please do your own research, contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas or insights in this presentation. So just remember, general advice only. So first of all, Francis, congratulations, on an amazing uh, success story so far. Uh, obviously, plenty more to come, I would imagine. But I suspect that, like any overnight success, it's it's been a bit of a long time coming, has it? Is that is that the case?
1: Yeah. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, it's been it's it's been quite an amazing year in terms of uh, progress in the company, uh, sort of technically, and obviously, you know, um, recently with the with the share price as well. So very encouraged to. To see that, uh, yes, it, it has been um, you know a little longer in the works. I think so. We started the company in in 2018 uh, as a private private company, and we we took it public late in 2019. And we've been working on the on the projects on the company ever since then. So obviously, recently we've gained a lot of uh, a lot more exposure and um, a lot more me- momentum behind the company. But um, we have been working on it for a number of years now. And you know, prior to that, I guess because um, I, I started the company with a chap called Dr. Horst Kreiter, who's a, a geothermal expert and. You know Horst has been developing geothermal projects. He's in his sixties now, um, and uh, he's been developing geothermal projects in, in Germany since uh, since he founded the first geothermal development company in Germany in the late nineties. So you know, this is really uh, sort of the culmination of uh, a life's work for Horst. And um, you know, myself, I, I come from I guess a mining resources background, and really this is me trying to sort of build the company I, I always wanted to work for, sort of a zero carbon resources company focused on on battery raw materials. So um, it's it's also been a sort of a life's uh, career move, albeit my career is a bit shorter than horse. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so tell us about the project in Europe, because uh, this is a, a project in uh, Germany, in the Upper Rhine, I believe. So tell us a little bit about the uh, the Vulcan project there.
1: Sure. So uh, we, we started Vulcan for two main reasons. One is that Europe has a, a very strong demand for what's called lithium hydroxide, which is used in the, uh, the battery chemistries of today for electric vehicles. And this demand is, I don't think it's any exaggeration to say it's growing exponentially. Uh, Essentially, the uh, lithium-ion battery production is is growing in Europe uh, 50 times between now and and 2030. Um, So, uh, going to around 500 gigawatt hours of battery uh, capacity. And Europe has no local supply of lithium hydroxide. So, there was a very strong supply-demand thematic there. Um, You know, couple that with, you know, China's, you know, unilateral trade actions, um, against various countries, including Australia. And um, obviously, China controls 80% of the world's lithium hydroxide market. Lithium hydroxide, critical to Europe's automotive industry, present and future. Automotive industry, one of the largest industries in Europe. So you can start to see that this is a very critical raw material for Europe and has now been put on the critical raw materials list. So that was one factor behind it. And then the other the other factor was that we, we saw that the current lithium uh, supply chain had a really high carbon footprint as well. Um, so we quantified that. We did some studies on that. And showed that, um, you know, to electrify the world's vehicles was actually going to emit a lot of carbon, a lot of CO2. You know, the other uh, method for uh, lithium production was from brines in South America, which has been widely reported to stress local communities in the second driest place on Earth, the Atacama Desert. So... We really thought the lithium supply chain was really not fit for purpose. So we wanted to start with a whiteboard and start working backwards from, you know, uh, ethical, locally sourced zero carbon lithium in Europe. And then um, came up with this concept of you get lithium from brines. And there's a type of brine called the geothermal brine, which is a source already in Europe for renewable energy, um, particularly in Central Europe, where we are in the Upper Rhine Valley, which is the hottest part uh, of that area. So um, what's less well known is that sometimes these brines are also lithium rich. So the, the concept was let's take these Geothermal brines um, extract energy from them, but then extract the lithium from them using some of that uh, renewable energy, so not using any fossil fuels, and then simply re-inject the brine back into the uh, into the reservoir. So it sounds simple. It's obviously a bit more complex than that, but um, uh, essentially we uh, we came up with that concept, and since then we've been uh, well, we've we've established a, a license position to secure exclusive licenses um, for geothermal and for lithium, and we've been growing. Uh, our resource, which is now the largest lithium resource in Europe and double the size of um, the nearest sort of hard rock resource competitor, um, we've been developing the project sort of technically ever since. then towards our pre-feasibility study, which is the milestone that the company has um, has just hit. So I mean, really, just too
0: good to be true. And it, it must be quite a complicated process. It can't be that simple. Is there anybody else around the world that is is? Using uh, geothermal to uh, to extract and, and to power the the brine extraction.
1: Well, I'd say um, not not commercially no is a simple answer. But, uh, brine projects obviously account for you know uh, roughly half of the world's lithium supply, and this is just another type of brine. So we we, we don't uh, the fact that there's no geothermal projects up and running is being a. Uh, a major hurdle. You know, there have been large sort of demonstration plants in the other parts of the world where we think this is possible, which is the Salton Sea in California in the past showing sort of lithium extraction from geothermal brines. And Salton Sea is a much more complex brine than um, what we have in the Upper Rhine Valley. So we're pretty confident that the the brine chemistry will will work, but obviously we have to, uh, we've done some test work where we have to progressively sort of scale up our piloting. Uh, towards commercial production and sort of sensibly de-risk this uh, this project as we go. In, in terms of, um, it, uh, yeah, I guess in terms of you know how it works and how we keep it zero carbon, really it's fusing the experience of our team, which is, um, I, I guess, twofold. We have a geothermal development team and um, we have a direct lithium extraction focused team as well. It's fusing those two experiences together. The German way uh, of geothermal uh, energy production is uh, effectively zero carbon. So there is CO2 within the brine, but it's kept within the brine at pressure and reinjected. injected and it's really connecting that with the direct lithium extraction that is our unique know-how. Um, so it's not it's not simple, but it's it's fusing together. I'd say you know established, mostly used technology. So um, that's how we. Uh, aim to lower the risk of project development. So, is
0: that really the biggest risk? I mean, obviously, you've um, you've got a a massive resource on your hands there, as as you say, um, one of the biggest in Europe. So, is is the biggest risk the process around the resource? And what's the sort of timeline, I guess, in de-risking that one?
1: Sure. So, I guess um, we've completed our pre-feasibility study now. So, we've done some initial test work. The next stage is um, known as the definitive feasibility study, also known as the bankable feasibility study. Um, really, to take this project to the point where you know we can take this study to the bank and, and fund the project—senior uh, debt, or green bonds, or, or or equity, or a combination of, of the above. Essentially, it's um uh, it's a process of of scaling up um, and de risking uh, uh, de risking that um, that technology. You know, the way we we lower the risk um, is we're not working with startups here for the lithium extraction method. We're we're working with sort of I'd call them tier one uh, chemical uh, suppliers of the the direct uh, lithium extraction absorbent that we'll need to take the lithium out of the brine. So I think it's really, you know, working with the right uh, partners uh, over this time frame. And, and we expect, you know, by the time we finish the DFS, we expect, I, I guess, the process to be de-risked enough that um, we can secure full, uh, project finance uh, for the project. That's that's certainly the
0: aim. It, it certainly was an impressive, certainly uh, a preliminary feasibility study. That was a very impressive, and of course you have attracted uh, the likes of uh, John Hancock now onto your register, which has uh, uh, been a, a big uh, tick of approval, I guess, for your for your company. So that that's. That's fantastic work. What's the sort of timeline? I guess in terms of the definitive feasibility study, are we looking um, late twenty twenty one, or is this a mid twenty twenty one? How's it going to play out? Do you think from here?
1: It's it's likely to be mid twenty twenty two, which is actually very quick, sort of compared to industry standards. But yeah, roughly eighteen months. We, we will obviously we always push pretty hard, and we'll try and get it done um, before that. But um, I, I think if we get to that point, it will it will still be quite a sort of a. Um, Impressive timeline of, of project development. So our, our current guidance would be uh, mid uh, mid twenty twenty three, so eighteen months from now. So um, looking at uh,
0: the PFS, I mean, you're obviously looking at some, uh, some some relatively big capex down the track, depending on how you phase the project whether you go phase one phase two or the whole thing or in one big dollar is that a daunting prospect is or is that something that you think is going to be depending of course on how the dfs goes relatively easy given the appetite i guess for uh, for lithium hydroxide in europe and, and the backing that you have from uh, european uh, authorities i guess in this project well i
1: think um i i don't think we find it daunting i mean if you at first glance, yeah you know, the capex does look high that you know there's no uh, guessing around that. but um I, I think we should remember that we're building two businesses here. We're building a renewable energy business which will take advantage of the feed-in tariff in Germany, fixed feed-in tariff for twenty years, um essentially for the life of the geothermal project, which is you know one of the highest um, feed-in tariffs in the world uh, for geothermal twenty five point two euro cents per kilowatt hour for twenty years. So uh, you know that will um that will help to. Uh, underpin the the economics, and you know that pays back a lot of the capital. And you know, as a standalone business, will make money um, on its own. So we are building two businesses here, instead of just a lithium business or just a renewables business. So hard, hard to sort of pair apples with apples with pears. However, once we get into production, um, importantly, we will if we're able to be close to our PFS numbers when we're in production, we should be the lowest cost uh, lithium operation in the world. And that's because we're we're treating a a waste product from the geothermal plant. So there's no feedstock cost and um, a large part of lithium production, uh, for instance, in hard rock is actually producing the, the mineral uh, feedstock for your process plant. We also have heat and electricity sort of readily available on tap. You know, we're not in the middle of the desert, so uh, you need heat to drive the direct lithium extraction process. And we have that from the plant. So that really drives the uh, the operating cost down further. So very low operating cost, which, you know, combined with that fixed feed and tariff rates um, really de-risks the project economics substantially. You know, you're insulated from any sort of lithium price shocks in the future, if you're obviously the lowest cost or one of the lowest cost producers, so uh, we we think it's you know eminently financeable from from that perspective. But then in in Europe, we've obviously been discussing with um, you know a number of institutions, both both public and private. So obviously, the European Investment Bank um, is linked to EIC, Inno Energy, the EU group, which is backing us. So um, you know, having uh, I, I guess having good um, good discussions at, at an EU level. But the the role of the EIB um, is. Really, to step in if the um, if the private markets don't work, and obviously we're speaking to the main development banks um, in in Europe as as well. They're very positive towards this uh, project. Obviously, it fits with, with their mandates. Everyone's sort of linking themselves to the to the EU Green Deal, and um, you know we, we're we're linked to decarbonisation, we're linked to electrification of vehicles and and renewable energy generation. So um, we we tick a lot of boxes of the EU Green Deal, and I think that makes uh, funding a project in such a low interest environment in Europe. On a project such as this, um, probably not that hard, hopefully. It,
0: it must be frustrating for someone that's uh, so heavily invested in, in the renewable energy business to be in Australia in some respects, because we, we do seem to lag a little bit in terms. You know, we've got Europe embracing it uh, with with open arms. We've now got the US with Joe Biden about to be uh, inaugurated today, and they're certainly pushing into it, which is again another positive, I guess, for the whole EV story. But Australia, we just seem to be lacking that catalyst that impetus and it it must be a little bit frustrating for you is that is that the case
1: um a little bit and obviously i, I live in western australia which is a resources state and um you know mm. let's say it's, it's lagged somewhat in terms of um, uh, adopting sort of zero carbon targets but um i, I and that's why i started balkan originally because there the really wasn't a company that i wanted to work for so i so i had to sort of go out and create one but um <laughs> uh, the uh I, I think the um, certainly industry, I think, is really catching up and, and taking the lead. I think over uh, over governments, um, you know, certainly certainly federal governments. You know, we're seeing seeing movement with state governments now, uh, which which is positive. You know, on on the plus side, um, many people have solar here, um, which is really fantastic. We produce a huge amount of solar, so um, there's some really encouraging signs. I think will be really good on the sort of solar and home battery adoption. Um, seeing some encouraging signs there. The, the, the frustrating part is. Is, is um is that we ha- haven't really got got much momentum on the electric vehicle side I think that's very very disappointing um compared to uh, other continents like Europe you know Germany massive automotive market over 20 percent uh, electric now Norway which is always the industry leader over 80 percent now and uh, Australia I think we're still below a percent so We've got some catching up to do, but um, there's, there's certainly a lot of optimism. I think there's a lot of people who want to see change, so I think it's only a matter of time. Well, let's, let's hope so. So, so following on from this this
0: PFS, and of course, we've got the DFS coming uh, mid-next year, are we going to be looking for some offtake agreements in, in the meantime or any sort of uh, deals there? Is that something we can look forward to as the timeline goes forward?
1: Sure. So, um, before we complete our DFS, we would need to have some offtake agreements in place for – you know, the majority of our future production. I think we're looking at probably securing offtake for around 80% of future production, and then we'll leave about 20% refloat for uh, for the spot market. For the energy side, we don't need offtake because under the uh, German Renewable Energy Law, um, the grid has to buy the energy that we produce at that feed-and-tariff rate. So, uh, at least that's that's one less thing to do. But certainly on the on the lithium side, yes, we will be looking at securing those offtakes and um, we'll be advancing those discussions this year. But we, we have some very good people in our business development team. Um, Vincent Thadias is a... Uh, is Europe-based and um, is a lithium industry expert. And we have an ex-Tesla director, uh, Jochen Rudatz, um, who's assisting in uh, Vincent in sort of bridging the gap with the automotive industry. So, we're, we're having chats with um, all of the uh, major players in the European automotive and battery markets. And um, I, I think uh, hopefully during the, the course of the year, we'll see some uh, some agreements come out of that. You guys have had a
0: meteoric rise in terms of the share price. Uh, in 2020 and heading into 2021, it has been astonishing, and, it's, and the volatility has been amazing. Obviously, this is this is something that, that that's pleased the company and makes life a little bit easier for you in, in so many respects. But has it surprised you that the take up and the enthusiasm the market has had for uh, for Vulcan? Um, I, I, uh,
1: I think if um, I mean it's, it's been great. Obviously, um, I, I think when we look at you know, other companies in this space, uh, in the lithium space, and, you know, in the electric vehicle space as well. I mean, I, I don't like to compare uh, us to, to Tesla, but, you know, the, 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 there is a little bit of a Tesla effect there and that I think this is really a company that uh, people want to see succeed and um, people invest um, on that basis um, as well as sort of on the fundamentals basis as well. So, um, we see a lot of sort of uh, uh, positive movement in the lithium s- space in the last couple of months. Obviously, the price has increased 50% um, uh, from the reports that we're seeing. So, um, I think uh, we're seeing tremendous growth in peers as well. We're seeing a lot of, you know, macro sort of global positive sentiment towards renewables, towards um, electric vehicles and everything associated with that. So, I don't think it's come as too much of a surprise. And we have been working, um, and you know, the team, our technical team has been working incredibly hard to to uh, advance this project very, very quickly and really, you know, catch up and, and overtake um, some other projects that are uh, sort of currently in, in development. So, and I think they've been very successful at that. So um, I I, um, I think it's not too much of a surprise, um, albeit, yeah, it's always nice when it happens.
0: <laughs> it's, it certainly is. There's some very happy um, shareholders, I'd imagine, in this. Your AGM is going to be uh, a, a bunch of very happy people, I, I would say. As, as far as um, your competitors go, I, I know there are, not not many competitors in, in, in a true sense. But when you look around the European lithium space, are there any other companies out there on the ASX that, you know, have caught your eye and you thought, oh, maybe that's, um, you know, maybe that's one that uh, you know, we, we should um, at least not copy or look at, but just um, keep an eye on for uh, for the future and see what they're doing? Are there any other companies in, in the European space that sort of uh, caught your eye at all?
1: I, I think um my my very diplomatic answer is I, I think yeah uh, you know, we're all trying to do different things so um and I think you know, quite frankly in the lithium space it's a very it's a very collaborative sector so it's a very small industry um still um it will be a much larger industry right very, very shortly but it's a very small industry everyone everyone knows each other and uh, the the numbers the demand numbers in Europe current and and forecast really are quite staggering and I think um you know in terms of Uh, feeding that, you know, plus 500 gigawatt hours of lithium-ion battery cell capacity by 2030, um, it's essentially 20 decent-sized lithium chemicals projects in Europe, and there isn't one at the moment. So, um, I think Europe needs all the lithium it can get, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, for that reason, obviously, everyone sort of wishing each other all the best with with getting into production as soon as possible. It's it's not a zero-sum game. Um, You know, I'd say, though, that in terms of doing what others are doing, you know, we've taken a very different path. We aren't doing hard rock mining. All of the other projects are hard rock mines. You know, I, I, I hail from Europe um, originally, as do you, and um, I, I know it's very, very difficult um, uh, to permit a, um, uh, an open pit mine in, in, in Europe because it's just so densely populated and people, for better or for worse, don't don't like mining. So I, I think it's it will be tough from that perspective. Also, from a carbon perspective, I think it's unless something changes – uh, it, it seems to be a very high carbon option to source the lithium. So our preference is certainly, you know, the lower impact um, geothermal wells, basically building a renewable energy plant with um, a lithium extraction plant on the back end. It, it sounds like a fantastic project. It, it must be quite, and we spoke about this just before we came
0: on there, it must be quite um, difficult and a little bit frustrating for you in Australia and the projects in, in Germany. And uh, I guess Zoom's been getting a, a serious workout, but uh, I understand you've got a chance to get back to uh, to Europe. Uh, last year at least in in the brief hiatus we had from the uh, the virus that was obviously a great thing to do hopefully we'll, you'll get another chance this year i would hope hopefully
1: you know you have to sort of ask for special dispensation to leave australia uh, these days so um but you know for if, if the business requires it um that that can be given so um i, I do intend to try and get out as soon as um uh, as soon as germany uh, opens up a bit you know, there's still I, I i guess no one's really taking meetings in, in europe so there probably wouldn't be uh, too much value me being over there anyway but um you know, as a company, I think we've we've managed very well. So, you know, our teams are distributed. Um, most of our personnel are in Germany in the Karlsruhe office, but we have personnel in um, in North America as well as well as Australia. So, um, we have been making you know Teams and Zoom work very well for us, and that was even before the before the pandemic. So, we're we're, we're quite used to working in a sort of distributed fashion and have continued to do so. And um, even though Germany is um, uh, under some restrictions at the moment, um, everything has been going uh, as it would have quite frankly, with no COVID situation as well. So, we've, we've been able to still keep the momentum going um, and hopefully with our piloting work, that will continue to be the case.
0: Francis, it's been an absolute delight having you on and I've really enjoyed listening to the Vulcan story. It's certainly an exciting prospect, an exciting project and I'm really looking forward to seeing how it pans out in the future. So, Dr. Fadine, thank you so much for coming on the show today and a uh, great absolutely congratulations on your performance so far and where you've got the project to at this moment and good luck for the future.
1: Thanks so much, Emily and thanks for your time and thanks for having me on.